I was reflecting on my sort of experience in the incarceration system and in the prison system. And I realized that I have actually, over the years, um, in dealing with my father and visiting my father and spending time in the prison, and I will get to a lot of this when I talk about making a murder in Mansfield, how I spent time inside the actual prison working with people in the video production department <laughs> in prison. Um, but uh, I have spent at least a year of my life in prison, not as an inmate, not as a, as a guest of the state in the sense of that I, I don't get out after a certain time. I was able to walk away and go home every day. But I've spent a year in prison. So um, I know what I'm talking about. And I have seen many people come through those visitation rooms and those walls. And uh, again, the incarceration system in this country is something that we really need to look at. Testimony continued today in the most notorious criminal trial in Richland County history. Dr. John Boyle is accused of killing his wife, Noreen, and burying her body in the basement of his new home in Erie, Pennsylvania. The 12-year-old son finally took the stand. As I heard a scream, I heard a thud. It was about this loud. We, the jury, find the defendant guilty. When I was 12 years old, my testimony sent my father to prison for murdering my mother. This podcast serves as a type of therapy and reconciliation for myself. And it is my hope that it helps anyone who has experienced deception, betrayal, and dark trauma. I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Murder. Hey, movers. Welcome back to another episode of Moving Past Murder. I'm your host, Collier Landry, and what's going on? Oh, never gets old. <laughs> it really doesn't. I love doing it. Uh, what's going on, people? Happy Friday, and uh, hey, this is the 55th episode of Moving Past Murder. I can't believe I made it this far. This is kind of crazy. And we've been on this journey, this very, very, very exciting journey together where I share all these wonderful tidbits about my life of being a true crime survivor and also uh, talking to some really cool people along the way. And um, one of those really cool people was uh, Judge James Henson retired judge of Richland County Common Pleas Court, who I had on the last two episodes. I did a two-parter episode with him, and you guys probably heard it, because Judge James Henson was the judge at my father's murder trial, where I testified for two days against my father, and he is still incarcerated to this day. So uh, that was interesting, and I found, you know, I got a lot of comments, a lot of questions, obviously, uh, I just did an AMA on my Patreon on this last Tuesday, the 20th. A lot of people asking me, you know, wow, even after all these years, you are still finding out things that you didn't know happened. And, and it, it didn't, not only with the case itself, but also with shit that my father pulled. And um, yeah, that's very true. It is one of those, uh, I would say that... <laughs> I would say that uh, what has happened in my life, my very young life, uh, is just a gift that keeps on giving. What can I say? Um, but no, in all seriousness, it was um, that was an, an interesting last couple of episodes for me because, again, I found out things like my father rented a cold storage unit to put my mother, my mother's body in. Um, 
while he was digging her grave underneath the house. I mean, just all kinds of stuff. It's just... I, you know, I used to, as I asked my father in the film Murder Mansfield, do you think you're a sociopath? Um, you know, I think also there are elements of what he did that there are elements of psychopathy, right? I'm pretty convinced of that uh, based upon his behavior. And hey, look, I was on Dr. Phil and Dr. Phil told me, hey, this man's a psychopath. So there you go. You heard it from Dr. Phil. He he knows his stuff, right? But no, in all seriousness, it got me really thinking. And, and also uh, this coming Wednesday, September 28th would be my mother's birthday. She would have been 77. And uh, so this brings up a lot of things for me. And it also, you know, again, after talking to the judge and who I hadn't spoken to really for at least 20 years, but spoken to about the case really ever actually. And, um, I, uh, man, the depths of the psychopathy that he, um, that my father exuded, I'm really starting to see a pattern as I hear more and more stories. And I'm sure it's not going to be alone because I have all kinds of stuff that I've trudged up over the last, I just recently went back to Ohio about a month ago and, uh, you know, I trudged up some more wonderful things that I'm going to be sharing on the program. Um, (laughs) it's just, it is the gift that keeps on giving. That's all I got to say. Um, but, uh, yeah, reflecting on my mother and there'll be another episode about this, but reflecting on my mother and, um, you know, what it would have been like to know her as she aged gracefully into her late 70s. Um, would she even still be here is a question that goes through my head. I mean, obviously she's not here anymore, but um, at least not in the physical sense. And um, I definitely think uh, think about that a lot. And then, I, of course, I, you know, naturally, I think segue into my own mortality, questioning my own mortality. You know, it's just a rabbit hole that you just keep going down. But Anyways, back to this Patreon meet and greet that I had, and it was an Ask Me Anything AMA session. Somebody had asked me about uh, if I had seen Sins of Our Mother on Netflix, which is a Netflix documentary about Lori Vallow and her family. And Lori Vallow, for uh, you guys can check out the film. I'm not really going to get too much into it, but basically she got um, she had uh, three children. One of them was a little older than the others and um, got hooked up with this guy who wrote a bunch of books. They were involved with the Church of Latter-day Saints, uh, um, Mormons, and not that there's... I am not a religious person, but I, mean, I don't subscribe to religion, but, uh, you know, to each his own, so I'm not here to bastardize the church in any way. But uh, this person, you know, seemed to think that they were... Uh, a very prophetic figure, to say the least. And we're going to start a new Jerusalem, and it was where they lived. And I think they were in Colorado or something, or Utah, Colorado, I don't know. Uh, some state in the mountain time zone, that's for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, they um, they uh, killed their spouses, and then she ended up uh, having her children killed in the name of starting this new weird lifestyle together and saving the world and that they're going to be the survivors and uh, thinking people are zombies and uh, it's just that her brother was killed too mysteriously. It's a lot. Uh, The cases are going to trial in 2023, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. But again, this brings me back to just the overall psychopathy 
and recognizing a lot of parallel traits with my father. You know, what it's like to bury, you know, because they bury the kids on the property, on the boyfriend's property. Like, what that looks like, you know, taking the lives of innocent children. And I mean, I just, I can't fathom it myself. But again, this is me just kind of reflecting on this. Due to what happened uh, to, in my circumstances with my father murdering my mother, and also, you know, thinking about she would have been 77 next week. And then you couple that with also the fact that, um, you know, uh, I see this film because everybody's like, hey, you should check out this film. And, um, you know, I watched it, of course, at like two in the morning, which I would not recommend for anyone. Um, I didn't really realize what I was getting into. Uh, I am not a huge, um, I'm not a huge watcher or consumer of true crime. As I've said many times on this program before, it's just not something that I was into because my life <laughs> is a true crime mystery story. And again, it is a mystery that keeps unfolding because I keep finding out these things about my father in this case and all this stuff like when I talk to the judge, right? So um, yeah, it's just a lot to reflect on. But if you have not seen Sins of Our Mother and you're into the true crime thing, you should check it out. But be warned, it is really heavy and it is very, very tragic what happened. I mean, look, all violence and senseless acts of violence, especially when perpetrated on children and families, is inherently tragic. Um, but this one is just really because I th they are so deluded in their narcissism and their sociopathy that they think that what they were doing is is right and they were killing zombies and they were um, going to start this new, I don't know if you want to call it a new world order or what they were saving the planet together. I don't, I don't understand it. Uh, but anyways, it was on my mind. I figured I'd share it. I want to get into this week's listener message of the week. And this one comes from Cora Hope on Instagram and it reads, Hi, Collier. My name is Cora, and I wanted to reach out to you to let you know that finding someone with a personality and heart like yours is few and far between. I finished watching your Hulu series, and I wanted to express how truly empathetic I am towards you in the end. The way you spoke to your dad was courageous and moving. Not a lot of people have the type of strength to question people to that level or even bluntly ask if he thinks he's a sociopath. While I have never had to go through a trauma as serious as murder, I've been put in situations like that over the course of my life and have found myself facing people the same way you do. Thank you for showing me that the way that I approach situations is okay and wanting to help those who have hurt us is not abnormal. All the best to you, kindly, Cora. Um, Cora, thank you so much for reaching out and um, your message is really sweet. And um, so thank you for that. Uh, showing her the, that the way you approach situations is okay and wanting to help those who have hurt us is not abnormal. And honestly, like, Cora, that is sort of the fundamental core of what I sort of get into a lot in my life when I work with people or when I do this program or I speak or what have you. And I am... Um, you know, I think the biggest thing in a situation like this is you cannot let these people change you. Because if they change you, they win, right? And ultimately, it's not about like winning or losing. It's not like a zero-sum game. But what it is, is when somebody 
is so egregious and is so destructive in your life. I mean, I guess, you know, when I was talking to the judge in these last two episodes, one of the things that I realized as I was talking to him is that I gave my father multiple opportunities to come clean about murdering my mother. Not only did I do that, you know, in court, but, you know, over the years in building a relationship with him that led up to making a murder in Mansfield, but also then ultimately in a murder in Mansfield itself, when I, I offer him the opportunity to share the truth, to come clean. And he has yet another story and another story and another story. And, you know, if you haven't seen the film, you should watch it. It's fantastic. Or, I mean, I, I think it's fantastic. I think a lot of people think it's fantastic. I don't mean to toot my own horn, but yeah, it's a really powerful film. It's a very powerful scene. Um, I hate my haircut in it. I'll just say that for the record. I hate my haircut, um, but whatever. <laughs> That's not what it's about. Uh, but yeah, I think you can glean a lot of um, a lot of insight from in dealing with people who have injured you so have been so egregious and so destructive in your life. Just trying to have that grace and sort of poise to just always give them one more opportunity. And look, that doesn't mean you let them walk all over you either. That just means that you take, you just, it's your life. It's not theirs. And the more you let them suck you into their bullshit or you let them suck you into their world or, or allow them to manipulate you without taking a stand and saying enough is enough. Like that's when it really starts to affect you taking a stand, asking the hard and tough questions and giving them the opportunity to answer those. Like the only, the only feeling that you can get out of doing that is holding your head high. So I don't know if she was asking for my advice, Cora, but um, if you were asking for my advice, <laughs> I don't think so. I think you were just offering a commentary on it. But at the end of the day, yeah, it's, it is, you got to do it for you. And as I talked about with a judge, you know, even with forgiveness, you've got to, you, you have to, forgiveness is not about them. It's about you. You've got to just let go and just be like, you know, this is, and it's not easy. I mean, I'm sitting here saying this behind a microphone in front of a camera saying, okay, yeah, this is, yeah, it's great. It's, it's not great. It's horrible. It sucks. <laughs> Don't get it twisted, kids. But at the end of the day, I mean, you just have to get on with your life. I mean, you can either do that or you can be consumed by it. I never wanted to be consumed by it. I mean, I'm not without my faults. I got plenty of them. But um, I am at the end of the day really glad that I was, you know, to thine own self be true as the bard wrote, right? Um, okay. So getting to this week's, uh, this week's episode. So, um, I'm reflecting on the fact that my mother would turn 77 next Wednesday, September 28th. Actually fun fact, my, both myself and, um, my mother are born on the 28th. I am born on February 28th. She is born on August or sorry, September 28th. And, <laughs> The dog that I had that I never got to see after I was yanked out of my family home on January 24th, 1990, Gaudi had a birthday on August 28th. So my dog, <laughs> my my uh, my mother and myself all had birthdays on the 28th and then she would always joke. And then your father was born on May 1st. So there you go. <laughs> he was the apparent black sheep 
from Jump. Uh, okay, but speaking of that, uh, that very intriguing, interesting gentleman behind uh, four walls of iron in the Iron House, uh, let's get to a letter from prison. And um, I'm going to pull one. Okay, that one. Let's see here. So for those of you that are watching on YouTube, which, by the way, if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe. It helps with the algorithm. Please, if you can. And for those of you that are listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, please subscribe to this program. All of your downloads really help. Get the word out. Spread the word. Share with your friends uh, if you're enjoying the program. Please give me great reviews on on your favorite podcast app, whether that's Apple, Spotify. And um, I appreciate all of it. I really do. Oh, look, here's a photograph that I found of my father. So for those of you watching on YouTube, I'll just hold this up so you can see. So my father is in front of a background, sitting on a chair, a background of an all snowy winter's day. I'm sure it says something on the back too. Oh, it says Doc Boyle on the back. To 2009. So that was from February 2009. So that was just kind of floating out here with these letters. So I'm going to pull one. Let's see here. I'm always trying to like look at the addresses that are on the envelopes too, because that sort of tells me like, hey, where was I living in California at the time? And I've been in officially now in California. Well, I'm sorry, officially now in Los Angeles, almost 20 years, which is wild to me. Um, but I'm so glad that I moved out here for many reasons. Uh, the least of which is, uh, isn't uh, the weather, that's for sure, um, because I love it out here. Um, all right, let me see here. I'm going to pull, well, I got a couple. Yeah, that was all, oh, this one was from, oh, okay, this is interesting. All right, so um, this is when I was living in Hollywood. Let me make sure there's something in here. And again, it's just for you guys know, um, this is the first time I'm looking at these since whenever I opened them the first time. So some of these are 20, 30 years old. Some of these are, you know, a, a decade old. It just depends. So I think that was just a sheet. I found uh, recently also, which I'm going to dive into, um, my father wrote a like dissertation or master's thesis on um, for getting his master's of divinity in um, in... Uh, prison. He did this whole thing and he sent it to me. And it is... This is weird. This is like a family and friend social... I don't know. This is like a Christmas thing. It's not a real letter. I don't know. It's not a real letter. I want a real letter, guys. That's what I want. Let's see here. So... These are all sent around the late 2000s, so 2008, 2009. I'm really going to put my glasses on. My father wrote this one by hand. Christmas Day, 2009. Okay, so obviously that's where that little photograph that I just popped out of him sitting in front of a snowy white background in the prison photo area. Uh, so that's probably part of this letter. So, okay, so we have this, uh, him sitting in front of a... Yeah, snowy white background. It says Doc Boyle, 2009. Oh, graduation. Opportunities in pork production. March 14th, 2009. I don't know what this is. Okay, there was an agenda. So my father graduated. Yeah, no, this is no joke. Okay, dead ass. Seriously. Um, <laughs> this says graduation. 
Opportunities in Pork Production, March 10th, 2009, in this envelope is a, a graduation like invite or agenda or whatever it is. And it's, yeah, it's got keynote speaker, W. Randall Brown, National Pork Board, remarks, Maggie Bright, uh, Bright, uh, Beitler, Warren, Warden, Jason Bunting, Deputy Warden, who I met, um, very cool guy, um, acknowledgments, and my father is one of the graduates on here. Lots of other people listed. So my father um, graduated a course in opportunities in, in uh, pork production. So this is interesting because, so this is sponsored by Purdue University National Pork board iowa state university um so this is interesting so despite my father being incarcerated for murdering my mother i definitely do have a lot of feelings about the way that our incarceration system is run in this country and i'm not going to get into that in this conversation but i am going to get into that later on in the program on another episode because I'm going to start talking to some people about this, about prison reform, about reducing recidivism rates. Look, crime in the United States is really bad right now. It's really bad in Los Angeles. It, you know, it's obviously a big city, but it's kind of, it's worse than it normally was. And blame it on the pandemic, blame it on economic and socioeconomic opportunities for people, what have you. I don't know. It's um, but you know our incarceration system really needs to be addressed in this country. That is my opinion. And look, for those of you that are listening, you have to understand that I just actually the other day was thinking about, because I'm doing another podcast uh, that I've started with my dear friend, Tara Newell, who is famous from uh, the Dirty John series. She is the one who ended Dirty John Behan's life when he came after her with a knife and with the intent on murdering her and then eventually murdering the rest of her family. He was married to her mother, Deborah Newell. It became the subject of a Wondery podcast done with the LA Times called Dirty John, which then became a television show and now a series and and a franchise called Dirty John. But season one, uh, which starred Connie, Bra- uh, uh, Connie Britton, Eric Bana, um, Jane Smart, uh, Tara was played by Julia Garner, who's famous from uh, Ozark. Juno Temple was in it. Uh, a bunch of people. Uh, it was a fantastic show. But... Um, her and I have started a podcast uh, called The Survivor Squad, and I was reflecting on my sort of experience in the incarceration system and in the prison system, and I realized that I have actually, over the years, um, in dealing with my father and visiting my father and spending time in the prison, and I will get to a lot of this when I talk about making a murder in Mansfield, how I spent time inside the actual prison working with people in the video production department <laughs> in prison. Um, but uh, I have spent at least a year of my life in prison, not as an inmate, not as a, as a guest of the state in the sense of that I, I don't get out after a certain time. I was able to walk away and go home every day. But I've spent a year in prison. So um, I know what I'm talking about. And I have seen many people come through those visitation rooms and those walls 
And uh, again, the incarceration system in this country is something that we really need to look at. And specifically to reduce recidivism rates so people don't go back to prison. And part of that starts with giving opportunities to individuals that are incarcerated. And look, I understand that they're criminals and they've done bad things. Yes, I get that. I understand. Lady Justice has tipped the scales and they are, <laughs> they are incarcerated. But that does not mean that a lot of people are not able to be reformed. You know, a lot of these people will end up, as my father would tell me many, many times in many, many letters, and I'm sure I will get into some of those eventually, uh, where you, uh, you know, people learn to, when they go to prison, they learn how to become better criminals. It's basically like going to college for criminals in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, that's a really weird way to look at it, but it is actually very true. And, um, and a lot of that becomes, it, it comes at the, at the hands of the fact that, the fact that in these prisons, they do not have programs that teach people usable, marketable skills. When you, when you leave prison, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Well, I don't know. I'm going to go rob another bank, obviously, because I have no other skills, right? I've been a petty criminal since I was a kid and blah, 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 whatever the story is, right? And I would say that one of the best things about my father being incarcerated at Marion Correctional Institution, where he still is, is Marion Correctional Institution, unlike any other institution in the United States, they have like 70 or 80 different programs for inmates. And they are not specifically tied to religious organizations because many of these programs that are in other prisons are all tied to some sort of religious organization, whether you're um, a, a Christian, whether you're a Muslim, those would be the two dominant religions, I would say, or and Judaism uh, in the incarceration system. But then there's other, you know, uh, other, you know, people who are indigenous people who they often treat native americans as if it's a religion but it's not it's a it's a way of life right um and also doing a documentary about that as a matter of fact but on that note um you know the more opportunities people have to educate themselves getting books getting knowledge learning they won't come back to prison now whether or not that is what we want them to do you know uh, that is not up to me or to you know elaborate or or sort of extrapolate on any conspiracy theories about the incarceration system in the United States, I will just say this, that giving people real opportunities to be able to come out and have a fresh start, and not handouts, but opportunities to use their skills for good and not for bad. Because it is much, it is very difficult to imagine just being thrown into a situation where you have no money, no job. You can't get a, a job. You can't get an apartment because you don't have a credit history. You don't have any of this. You just have criminal history. And not a lot of people are willing to open up their doors to let people come in. So Marion Correctional Institution, all that to say this, they offer a lot of these programs and, it's, and it is amazing. I mean, I'm sure it has its own flaws and issues. I'm sure drugs and yada yada, like every other prison in the United States, but uh, they do have a lot of, they do have a lot of programs for inmates. Um, and uh, I got to see that firsthand and I got to see how that impacted people. And it was very positive. It impacted their families really well because they thought, okay, they got a plan when they come out. And there are many organizations that work in tandem there. With it, I get off my soapbox and I'm going to get into this letter. So this says, Christmas Day 2009. Dear Collier and, well, I won't mention her name, but she was my girlfriend at the time. 38 degrees and raining at the moment. Some... Same now, same, oh man, I can see this is a doctor's handwriting, by the way. So for those of you that can see this on YouTube, this is like, yeah, my father has rights with chicken scratch. Um, oh man, I'm going to, it looks like it says some prom, but he's not saying that. 
some oh some snow some snow heading this way next week i'm trying to get a call through to you with my case manager when i can when i can track him down the administration scored a triple no no breakfast today and saturday and sunday all budget cuts i hope they let me go home that'll be the, that'll be that'll save them money prayerfully everything is working out favorably for you you have lots of talent and ability which someone will soon recognize i am anxious to know what's going on with your music film projects etc well of course you are because you're wanting me to make a film to help you get out of prison <laughs> i'm waiting for final approval and printing of my oh this is what i was talking about earlier my masters of divinity thesis then i can start the coursework for my masters of divinity or divinity ministry degrees abbreviating all these so i'm just sort of making it up i have already i have already completed my doctoral dissertation but have to get some coursework complete just coursework completed I feel slash believe I am making a significant contribution to youthful offenders, but who knows? It is such an ordeal to see any tangible results. I'm still plugging forward. I'm a glass half full person. I believe in positive empowerment. You are the same type also. Oh Lord. Let me just finish this. Overall, the place is overcrowded and full of a generation unconcerned about their future, their children, and most sadly about themselves. I don't know. I don't know and can only speculate about what has happened to the state, to the state in this country. I am very proud of you. Stick to stick to the dreams. They will materialize. Love and miss you right right via and he mentions a couple of people. It's quicker. XXOO dad. Um, yeah, you're very proud of me because this was the time when I was starting to talk about making a murder in Mansfield, 2009. That, for all of you, it takes a long time to make a film. <laughs> that is pretty much when that started. And um, my father was going to be up for parole in less than a year at that time and was looking for my support. So, of course, he's very much uh diving into hey yeah bumper let's uh yeah i'm really proud of you stick to your dreams you can do it oh man it is interesting though he's talking about the incarceration system and what it is i mean it's 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 hard to read some of these things at, at times because some of the things are uh are you know, he is accurate in saying what it goes on is that, you know, these generations go in, they get incarcerated, and then they, you know, sort of abandon all hope. That's how it is. Oh, and here it is. He has sent me a, <laughs> he has sent me a little printout about this law firm that he wanted to hire to help him get out on his appeal. Gura and Wilford, LLP. For those of you watching on YouTube, there you go. Um, who I actually met with during his parole and went to the parole hearing in 2010, uh, which I will get into in another episode for sure. 
but um, that's interesting. And I just realized that I actually have footage of meeting with that lawyer and talking to him in his office. And I set it up and I just remembered I have that. So guess what's going to be dug out of the archives and put onto my Patreon? For those of you that support, you'll get to see it. I know I've got it somewhere and it's going to be super duper cool. Um, yeah, because I talked a lot with his attorney at the time too. Because I was, again, teeing all this stuff up for the film, even you know years before I shot it. So when I started getting cameras and I was able to sneak one in and it was a whole thing. So um, I guess I'm giving away a lot of information too. Some of these other envelopes here that I'm looking through, because I'm going to pull another letter. Let's see. Okay, let's try another one. Here we go. All right. So this is written. Um, this is written. Well, I'm trying to look at the envelope. It has so much postage. 2000. I don't know. I can't tell you. Let's see what's inside here. And again, a lot of these, you know, when we were making the film of Murder in Mansfield, the production team sort of pillaged through these and uh, they're all put down in different envelopes. Anyways, okay. Monday afternoon, Memorial Day, 2009. Dear Bumper, oh, my father wrote this in, um, in printed handwriting instead of chicken scratch. So for those of you, again, watching on YouTube, you can see it. It is clearly written in regular print lettering. So, um, yeah, wild. The different handwritings is always what I think is interesting because he'll type and then he'll write with a chicken scratch and then he'll do this block printing um, I really want somebody to look over this stuff. Well, anyways, here we go. Uh, Dear Bumper, which for those of you who don't know, my, that was my nickname uh, that my father and mother gave me. I grew up the first, God, um, four and a half years of my life on a naval base outside Dahlgren, Virginia. And the airplanes would land in the backyard, essentially, literally. And um, I would point to the nose cone of the airplanes and I called it a bumper. So that's how I got that nickname, Bumper. So just a fun little tidbit. Um, I may have mentioned this on the program before. But anyways, uh, dear Bumper, well, did you go down to Pink's for a holiday treat? Ha, I've never been there. Only to San Diego a few times on Navy business. But I saw it on a TV show, PBS, about the history of hot dogs. I might have to try it someday. Incidentally, no hot dogs are served in the prison. Go figure. I don't believe that. I think hot dogs are so cheap, you have to serve them in prison. Come on, that's like the ultimate prison food, isn't it? I saw the Memorial Day show, also on PBS, from the Capitol Mall. CJ, which is my father's brother, Charles, go, used to go to it sometimes, and I would always try to spot him and Gail when they panned the audience. Never, never succeeded. Do you remember one of your baby pictures taken on the cannon at Pensacola? Yes, I do. I do remember that baby picture. I have that. You were about two years old. Very cute. I can recall that day as if it were just a moment ago. Anyhow, it is one of my favorite pictures of you. I may, I may have told you previously that some of my happiest moments were spent in Pensacola. Mommies would all, mommy would always call it. Pepsi-Cola. Pensacola, meaning Pensacola, Florida, which I also lived at right before we lived in Virginia for six months. I was a baby at the time. 
How about Susan Boyle? No kin to the Boyles, but I'm glad to see her succeed with whatever measure of success. I guess he's talking about, I think she won American Idol or something like that, or um, some competition, America's Got Talent. I don't know. Susan Boyle, she was an opera singer. Um, hey, Marianne continues to grow up, sadly to say. Last week, there were three staff assaults all day, all by gang by gangbangers. The place is packed, and they are talking about triple bunking in an in an already par, uh, an already packed two-man cell there is something insane about all of this a guy told me last night that three rc sheriff's deputies are under investigation for fabricating evidence to get guys convicted how shocking question mark exclamation point if i get an article from him i'll send it along so i guess what he was referring to is a guy told me last night that three richland county so rc meaning richland county sheriff's deputies were under investigation for fabricating evidence to get guys con convicted again so my father is up for parole in about a year from this time and he's again still talking about fabricating evidence and things of that nature like look i can't speak to these sheriff's deputies or whatever but again he's alluding this to say himself hey oh look like look they fabricated evidence just like they did in my trial which of course they didn't um i stuck an article in about the continuing ohio prison mess but i suspect you have enough of these problems in california well yeah that's very true california's prison system is out of control and it has been for quite some time uh do you ever get up get up to Berkeley. I know some guys up there. How are you doing? I hope you are okay. I'm sorry if I offended you, but I didn't do anything on purpose. I would like to hear from you, so please take the time to write me. It's important for both of us. Weather is nice and sunny today. Slight breeze. Nothing else going on in here today. All activities shut down, but the guards are smiling. Triple time for their holiday work. So everyone is doing the zombie walk with walk until tomorrow. The budget cuts have really put the put the crunch on everything down to the toilet paper and laundry soap. The whites come back gray from the laundry. Dishes are greasy uh, in the chow hall. Everyone in a perpetual state of, of flu-like illness. I'm really surprised from a hygiene aspect. The prisons aren't outbreaks of, of pestilence. Of pestilence. But maybe that's, maybe that's in the offing. I got to get out of here. Amen. So, okay. <clears throat> I had to struggle through that, that last line, but, um, because I, this is where my mind is going. So my father is using something that, <laughs> that is, uh, obviously very clearly, uh, an issue in the prisons, which is, uh, care of inmates and, and budget cuts and, and obviously privatizing prisons in the United States has been a thing. And, um, often the inmates suffer, but again, and my father did this to me as a kid. And I remember my adopted father, George, um, bringing this up. There was this letter that he wrote me and he was longing for a filet fish sandwich from McDonald's. And my adopted father pointed out the letter, was reading it to me. And he said, this is manipulation. Your father is trying to make you feel guilty because all he wants is a filet fish sandwich. Well, maybe he shouldn't have murdered your mother. And again, my father complaining about the, the um, complaining about the conditions of the prison that he is in. Well, maybe you shouldn't have murdered my mother and put yourself in prison. 
I think that's one of the, the, the key things with like gaslighting and narcissism and scapegoating that comes from these sociopaths is literally like you are trying to make me feel guilty or feel sorry for you for being in prison and being in such tough conditions. But you chose to put yourself in those tough, difficult conditions. I mean, it's so weird reading this. I mean, this is like 13 years ago, and it's still just as clear as day. And then, you know, I got to get out of here. Amen. Do you go to the beach, Malibu or Laguna? Have you ever gone down to Santa Monica Pier? Well, now I live like a block away. Muscle Beach, etc. I don't know if it's up to uh, up or down from you. I always wondered about those those places since California is Mecca, as you know. Our gym, all antiquated Nautilus machines, is rarely available to us, and us because of scheduling and staff problems, but remains the best available. I try to get into the gym three times a week for one hour. That is all we are allowed. Even to walk around the outside track, track is a time nightmare. So it's tricep crunches on the toilet bowl, bicep work hanging from the bed frame, ab work on the bed, etc., etc. A real improvised situation in here. Maybe it's the weather or my last birthday, 66, but I am aching in places. Never ached before. I think it's arthritis. How is your job coming along? Do you freelance or are you on someone's payroll? Are you still doing the renting? I hope you're okay. Well, stay safe and healthy. You're in my thoughts and prayers. Always love daddy, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, again, painting a picture of what it's like to be in prison. Um, yeah, man, you put yourself in prison. You shouldn't murder my mother. That's sort of the end of the, that's kind of the end of the end of the conversation, really. Um, yeah, he was 66. Well, my mother never got to see 66, and next week she would have been 77. So, yeah. You know, sometimes these letters hit me, they hit me in a way that, uh, I'm not ever really prepared for. And I think this is something, and I don't know if this is just being a trauma victim or going through trauma or experiencing trauma like this or being a, a victim of true crime or, or whatever, or a survivor, I, you know, whatever the preferred nomenclature would be for this. But I would say that I, I think sometimes I'm prepared to talk about this stuff. And sometimes it hits me and I have all, like a wave of emotions because I think uh, sometimes I feel sorry for my father. I feel sorry for him uh, being in such a horrible place. And I think about it like if I was in a horrible place like that and if I was thinking to myself of like, you know, like, wow, like that would just really suck. But again, like he did it to himself. So I have to constantly remind myself of that. So I think when, you know, you listen and you, you know, when you guys are listening and you're thinking about like, how does this guy cope with this or, or deal with his life? I mean, sometimes, honestly, it is really challenging for me straight up. It is really difficult to imagine that my father has been living in a eight by eight or eight by six room for 32 years. 
because of a decision that he made that he didn't have to make. Because of an action that he did that he didn't have to do. And because of the catastrophic destruction that occurred not only with my mother's life, with my life, my family's life, my community's life, the ripple effects go far beyond what is the immediacy of his, um, you know, not being able to use the gym and having to do tricep crunches on the toilet bowl inside his prison cell. It goes a lot further than that. And again, the only person in this entire situation that had a choice was him. Ah, that's my two cents. And, uh, well, yeah. On that note, I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Murder. Thanks, y'all. This podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible. Find us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Collier Landry. The film A Murder in Mansfield is available on Investigation Discovery, Discovery Plus, and Amazon Prime Video. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio in association with RSA Entertainment. Please visit mpmpodcast.com to show your support today.